Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and go with me to Genesis 22. Genesis 22. We begin a new sermon series this week called uh, Points of Passion. And what we're going to talk about for the next five weeks is, is just the, the things that we should be passionate about when it comes to our relationship with the church and our relationship with God. I, I don't know about you, but I, maybe you've done this before. If you've been on a vacation that was an interesting vacation, um, we set out several years ago on a vacation uh, that I called the Clampets Go to Jamaica. Um, my parents were celebrating their, their uh, 50th wedding anniversary and decided we'd all go to Jamaica together. And um, we, uh, again, I called it uh, the Clampets Go to Jamaica on purpose. And so uh, we got ready to go. We were going we to stay in a house, not stay on a resort. We were all going to live under one roof for the first time in years with our spouses and our children. And so we, uh, we, my mom and dad find this house. We all get our plane tickets. We all, we all leave right at Christmas time. Their anniversary's in January. And so we're headed to Jamaica. And, you know, everything's planned out. Everything's organized. Everything's ready to go. And then it happens. We arrive in Jamaica. I'll never forget. That morning starts off great. Plane ride is no big deal. Not a lot going on. And then we go, and one of the things was we were to rent a 15-passenger van because there's 13 of us. And you see the 15, well, you see the van. We named this van Fillmore. Um, we get to the checkout, to the window to rent the vehicle. My brother goes to the, the, the lady, and he, he'd kind of made arrangements for a 15-passenger van. Again, there's 13 of us. She says, oh, Mr. Carter, we don't have your van here, but one of our uh, contractors, will, they'll have one for you, and he's coming to pick you up. So my brother and I had already talked. We put two of us on the, the, the driving list just in case something happened. So we're, we got to go off-site from the airport to go get the van that we, we affectionately call Fillmore. And we call Fillmore because if you've ever seen the movie Cars with your children or grandchildren, you know that Fillmore is one of the vans, and it's from the 60s and 70s. It's a love child van, and that's kind of what this thing is. So I know there's a problem when, we, when the guy comes to pick us up, and he's just picking up my brother and I, to pick us up to go get the van. There's a problem because he goes, guys, get in the car. And I'm letting my brother get in the front seat because I've been around law enforcement enough. I'd rather sit in the back seat in case I have to do something. But what I'm not expecting is when I open the door, there's a machete laying in the back seat about yay long. And the guy goes, oh, I'll take that up here with me. You could leave it back here with me. I'd be all right with that. So we get there and we pull in and we get, we, we're parked at this place to get the van. And there's only one van on the lot. It's Fillmore. I look at it and I know my brother's looking at it. And I said, is, is, is that the van? Yes. I believe it's been hit on all four corners or in every panel of this van at some point. 
So I get out, Lee gets out, it's a five-speed, not a big deal. My dad has taught both his sons how to drive a five-speed, no big deal, except we're driving on the opposite side of the road and sitting in the opposite seat. So fortunately, my brother had done that before. I was thankful that I wasn't going to learn on the fly at that moment. But then I start counting seats. Fifteen passenger van is what we were supposed to be getting. Best I can count is twelve. I said, are you sure this is a 15 passenger? Oh, yes, this is a 15 passenger. Where do you get 15? Oh, you could put one up here on the jump seat. You could, you, one is sit right here. Okay, now remind you, there are 13 of us. We've come to Jamaica for a week. We all are carrying luggage. My brother and I walk around that van, I don't know, five times a piece, just, and I'm looking at Lee going, I, you want to go back and rent something else? He goes, but we're still in the same shape with luggage. We can get two cars, but we're still hung. Yeah, you're right. So we make this decision. Let's take it. We roll up into the airport parking lot, and that's where you see the, 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 the picture there. And I walk in and get our family who's waiting, been patiently waiting on us, not knowing, my parents not knowing where their two sons have disappeared with who and what. You know, they didn't even know he had a machete. Um, and so, so I walk in and went, well, the adventure begins. Let's go. In the other picture, I have only count, there's 13 of us in that van, and I can only count, that's my sister-in-law takes the picture. There, there are three of us in front of her, um, and I still can't count the, the rest of us in that picture. We piled so much luggage in that van. My nephew sat in the back. I'm not sure we ever saw him until we unpacked two hours later down the road. Uh, mind you that we all got up early and we were, the kids were hungry. And my mom said, oh, they tell me there's a McDonald's close to where we're staying. Fillmore will not do more than 60 miles an hour empty. With 13 people in luggage, Fillmore barely gets over 45. No, I mean, air conditioning maybe. My, my niece is sitting between my brother and I going, I hate this. I hate this. I asked her the other day, would you like to go on another trip and sit between your uncles? No, I want to stay home. And so it was a moment which we began a journey that I begin to go, this, there's nothing about this that makes sense. We travel two hours only to find in Jamaica there is no McDonald's. So our kids were like, what? <laughs> the house that we rented was a great house, except the pictures online were taken 10 years earlier. <laughs> the hot tub they spoke about was an old bathtub sitting out in the in the outside that first day kid you not I can't speak about my whole family there was no question in my mind the Clampets had come to Jamaica and I began to wonder what are we doing nothing about this makes sense this morning I, I want to talk to you about worship 
Because our responsibility, and one of the things that we're supposed to do as a believer, is to worship God. And there are moments in our life when we go worship, how can I worship? This does not make sense. Oh, it may not be as comical as being on a vacation with your entire family in a, in a 13 passenger van, or a 12 passenger van with 13 people. But we're supposed to worship when the bottom falls out of our life. We're supposed to worship when God says, this is what I want you to do. And yet you go, are you sure? Worship is what I'm supposed to do? This morning, I want you to understand that we're to worship even when it doesn't make sense to us. Because God is greater than we are. God is bigger. God has got a plan. God's got a purpose. If we will just listen. This morning, I want us to look at Genesis 22. For some of you, it's a familiar passage. It's Abraham and Isaac. It's the, the passage in which we know the story that Abraham and Sarah had been praying for a son for a number of years, and it finally happened in their old age. And then once they have a son, he's old enough, God says, Abraham, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take that one and only son, the one I gave you from Sarah, and I want you to go to a mountain I'm about to show you, and I want you to sacrifice him there. What part of that makes sense? What part of that, as a parent, do you go, sure? I left to a Sunday school class this morning. The, the smartest thing Abraham did was not tell Sarah. But he takes his son. This morning I want us to, to see in a moment that doesn't make sense how we do worship. So if you have your Bibles and your Genesis 22, let's stand as we honor the reading of God's holy word. Beginning verse 1 of chapter 22 says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here am I, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took with him his two young men and his son Isaac. He split the wood for the burnt offering and set out to go to the place God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father, he replied, here my my son. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of the men walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, arranged the the wood, bound his son Isaac, placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here am I. 
Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. So today it is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn this is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your offsprings will possess the city gates of their enemies and the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offsprings because you have obeyed my command. You may be seated. Here's the big idea I want you to catch this morning. Our worship, our worship does not hinge on how good life is, but rather on God's eternal greatness. Catch that. Our worship doesn't hinge on how good our life is. If it's all about us, then we've missed the point. If we only worship when we feel good, we are missing the boat when it comes to our relationship with God. There's a hole in our theology because we make it all about us. But our worship hinges on God's eternal greatness. That God is so great that he loved us unconditionally. He sent his son. Let me share a few things we find in this passage to help us. The first one is we've got to realize that life doesn't always make sense. Students, as you graduate high school and as you move on, you already know this a little bit, but you're about to find out for real how life doesn't make sense. You'll go to college classes, professors will say things, and you will not like it, you won't agree with it, but that's the way life is. You'll grow up, get a job, and you, you may disagree with how they do something, but it doesn't have to make sense. Life doesn't make sense at times. Our job... Our job is not to question, but it is to, to move forward. So let me give you two things to help you when, when life doesn't make sense. First thing is simply this. You, you need to quiet yourself. You need to quiet yourself. There's no question that at this moment that Moses came to a place in his life and thought, wait a second, you've given me this son. We've prayed for this son. Why in the world would you tell me to go sacrifice him? I mean, Moses could have had a number of different conversations going on, but he didn't. He stopped and he listened. He quieted himself. He came to the point where he wasn't doing the talking. He let God do the talking. And so he came to that place and quieted himself. Look at Psalms 46.10. It says this, Stop fighting and know that I am God, exalt, exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. Sometimes we fight with ourselves, we argue with ourselves, we want to know why. But Abraham came to a place and he quieted himself. The second thing is we have to listen to the voice of God. 
Abraham listened. Abraham came to a place where he heard God. And as Abraham heard God, he also had remembered what he'd heard before. That God not only loved him, but he was going to provide a son. And a loving God would take care of him. When life doesn't make sense, the best thing for us to do is to stop and listen. To quiet ourselves. Because there's so many emotions that can come in, so many thought processes, and sometimes we get so overwhelmed. But if we'll quiet ourselves and we'll listen, we'll hear the voice of God. John 16, verse 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. Listen, when Christ went to the cross, he didn't leave us by ourselves. He sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then inside us is the one who speaks to us. But if we're doing all the talking, how can we listen? If we're constantly complaining or frustrated over why it doesn't make sense, how can we hear from the voice of God? When we look at our country and we see the things that are going on, we can do all the things and complain like everyone else, or we can, we can quiet ourselves. We can listen to the voice of God. We can trust that voice. Second thing I want you to catch from this text is is to respond to God's promises and not to the unknown. To respond to the promises and not to the unknown. I love what happens in this text. Abraham comes to the place, he hears the voice of God, he listens to the voice of God, and then we hear where Abraham, the next day, cuts the wood and begins the journey. Sometimes hard thing for us to do is to respond without asking questions. I'm certain there were questions. I'm certain there were lots of things. And I laugh. Scripture doesn't say this to us, but I laugh that Abraham doesn't tell Sarah. Because I can imagine what that looks like. Men, we, we understand that. I, I call my parents and my mama tell me everything going on and tells me how my grandmother's doing or how she's doing or my dad's doing and I'll get off the phone Pam would go you talk to your parents yeah how are they fine fine would she say anything nah and then my wife will talk to my mother some days later well you didn't tell me all that well you didn't ask all those questions I, you just asked how they were doing I told you they were fine so so can you imagine Abraham and Sarah I'm going on a trip. God told me to take a trip. Okay. I can only imagine what the conversation's like on the end. Mom, do you know what dad was going to do to me? You didn't tell me. You, you didn't ask those questions. I told you I was going on a trip. I'm going to take him. Abraham responds to God's promises. He doesn't respond to the unknown. There's a lot of unknowns here. There's, there's a lot of things that people would want to know before they took off on a journey like that. Let me give you two things to help us to, to respond to God's. First is fight the urge to be in control. <laughs> somebody, I just noticed somebody go, oh. Fight the urge to be in control. 
I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but there are lots of us in this room who like to be in control. We, we dislike it when we don't have some control. Another trip of ours uh, in our early days of marriage, we went on a family ca- vacation with Pam's family to Gatlinburg. Didn't have to rent a car, didn't have to, didn't have to, didn't have to do anything, except all along on the trip, Pam's mom and she has decided we'd all ride together, which means Pam's parents will drive and we'll ride with them. And all along since she told me that, I said, no. She says, yes, we'll ride with mom and dad. No. Yes, we're going to ride with mom and dad. No. I'm not going to Gatlinburg with your family without an escape route. (laughs) I don't know that I said it quite like that. We were early in our marriage. Maybe I did. They came, or we, we came. And her mom goes, I don't think we can ride together. There's too many things. Pam goes, okay, that'll be fine. And I said, praise the Lord, because I wasn't riding with them anyhow. <laughs> Here's the truth. I wanted to be in control that if I wanted to get up and leave, I could get up and leave. We, we like that control, don't we? We like those things. So sometimes when God says, this is what I want you to do, and he doesn't fill in the blanks, that's a That's a problem because we like to be in control. But when God calls, we have to trust God and fight the urge to be in control because who is supposed to be in control of our life, us or God? Thank you for catching that because if you didn't, we'd have to stop here for a minute. God's got to be in control. God's got to be the one who leads us. Proverbs 3, 5, it says this. Trust in the Lord with half your heart, No, with all your heart. And do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Trust God with all your heart. All your heart. Meaning if he's in it, if he's leading you, he'll provide. All you have to do is fight the urge to be in control. Second thing is, fix your eyes on being obedient. Fix your eyes on being obedient. One of the things that will help us fight the urge to be in control is we, we look and we work at being obedient. Focus on that part. Because here, here's the thing, I think everyone in this room would, would agree with me if you have a faith in God that you believe that God is, is greater has more wisdom, has more knowledge, has, has better understanding of what lies ahead. It's just the unknown we don't like. It'd be better if he'd tell us, we think. But the truth of the matter is, if you were, if you were Moses leading the people out of slavery, if God said, this is what's going to happen over the next 40 years, how many sign up for that trip? That's not a trailblazer's trip you want to be on. That's one of those things you go, nope, I'll catch the next one. So God gives us enough, but he also provides. So we have to fix our eyes on that obedience. Fix our eyes on that that moment in which we understand he's in control. We just have to be obedient. 
John 14 tells us this. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I tell you. If you love me, you'll obey. If you'll love me, you'll fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on me. The third thing, when we want to worship when life doesn't make sense, we remember God always provides. God always provides. Now here's the thing. God doesn't always provide the way we want God to provide. Because in our mind, we have it worked out how we think God ought to work. This is how it should look. This is what it should do. But God's ways are better. God will provide. If we just trust him. I love this text. There's a, there's, a, there's a conversation that some people have when Moses tells the guys, me and the son will be back. Me and Isaac will be back. Does that mean he knows what's happening? I, I don't think he does. But I think he knows God's going to provide. Because I think if he knows what's going to happen, that there's going to be a, a ram caught in the thicket, that, that that's going to take place, why does he go through all the trouble to put his son on the on the on the altar to tie him on to do what he has to do and then he rears back the knife like he's ready to do what God has commanded him old scholars think well maybe he thought he'd raise him from the dead who knows what he thought one thing I think's for sure is he knows God's going to provide why because God always has provided when the world says you can't get pregnant God says yes you can Abraham realized God provides. Do you realize God provides? Some of you have been through some difficult days. You've been through some trying times. Times that you would not dare go back through. But you've seen God's hand. Oh, and sometimes it's not the way you would like for it to be, but you marvel at the way that God has provided and taken care of you. God always provides. Matthew tells us this, Matthew 6, 30. If that's how much, if that's how God clothes the grass of the fields, which are here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you you have little faith. Jesus has those words to the disciples and says, look how God takes care of and provides for this, for the grass and the lilies of the field. If he does that for these things, what will he do for you? You can worship when things don't go, when things seem crazy. If you realize that life doesn't make sense, if you respond to the known to God and not to the unknown, if you'll remember God always provides. And fourthly, if you remember to rejoice in the way God blesses. Rejoice in the way God blesses. In this text we find that God blesses Abraham, provides a, the ram and the thicket, 
But he does much more than that. He tells Abraham how his family will be in the days ahead. He blesses them unconditionally. That's what God does. God will do that for you and for me. If we'll just worship even when life doesn't make sense. We can spend our time talking about all the things that, that need to be fixed when the reality is if we'll just look at the creator of all things and give him glory. Can you do that? Can you worship when life doesn't make sense? Our first night in Jamaica, <laughs> I'll be honest, I wasn't sure my wife wasn't trying to figure out how to get on a plane and go home. <laughs> that week, we laughed at Fillmore, our van. Wasn't so bad when we didn't have luggage in it. We went to a place, um, the Blue Hole, I think it was, and Fillmore had this um, security system on it that if you tried to break into it, the horn w this horn would go off. Nobody was trying to break into it, but it was going off. Everybody in the place kept going, whose van is that? And they're all the Americans. We finally walked over and um, my father's mechanic, I've, I've been in the automotive industry, <laughs> my dad and I just unhooked that thing. So if you ever go to Jamaica and you get a van that looks like Fillmore, I can tell you the, the uh, security horn will not work on it because we forgot to hook it back up when we left. Because it would just go off. Oh, we laughed at the housing, but you know, here's what happened. That week turned into a special week for our family. Oh, it might have started off in a what were we thinking kind of moment, but today we still laugh about it. We laugh about seeing different things. There's a picture on the wall of our family uh, uh, that we, we got from our parents that uh, was a puzzle they put together, and it was the picture at, at that same spot where the, the horn was going off. We were riding dune buggies through the mud, and I was driving my mother, and I had been real nice to her all day and hadn't gotten her muddy. Everybody had been muddy at our pit stop. The last hole, my mother reminded me this week, I was clean until it. I said, yeah, the man says, go on, it's your mother, you can get her muddy. You're right. And I just filled the buggy full of mud as we went through this water hole. We all laugh. It turned out to be a blessing. Now, the first half of that week, I, I wondered what in the world have we gotten into? But now I'm grateful looking back. We can worship God even when life doesn't make sense. And I believe when we do, we can look back at those moments that make us wonder why and realize how good God is. We can see what a blessing it's been. The only way you do that is if you come to your place in your life and you realize that there is a God who's greater than you. A God who loves you unconditionally, who died, sent his son to die on a cross for you. It's only by giving him your whole heart, not half your heart, not three quarters. It's by acknowledging he's greater. He's worthy of praise. 
This morning, if you're here and you've never confessed Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, would today be the day? Maybe you're going through a lot in life, and maybe today you just need to stop and acknowledge there's one greater than you. Today, we want to invite you to come to know Christ. It's not complicated. It's not a secret handshake. It's, it's just by acknowledging that he is God and you're not. Believing in his word by, that he tells us that he sent his one and only son to be the sacrifice for your sins. And you choosing to follow him. Maybe today there's a different decision on your heart. Maybe you should join our church family. This morning, would you come and let us know that? We'd love for you to be a part of our church family. Maybe today you're just going in one of those moments of, man, this just doesn't make sense. And you need to fight the urge to be in control. And maybe you just need to come to the altar and give it up and let God have it. Whatever the case may be, would you respond to a God who loves you unconditionally, who knows right where you are and knows what the future and the plans hold for you? Would you respond to him this morning? Let's stand together.